Welcome to the Business Titans podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Chavez, and we're here to share with you how to grow and scale your business. But more importantly, we're here to have deep and meaningful, real conversations. Today, I have Dr. Mark Golston with me. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Oscar. <laughs> Look, Dr. Mark Golston is a Marshall Goldsmith 100 executive coach, advisor to founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs on on any and all interpersonal matters related to their success. He's a founding member of Newsweek Expert Forum, hosts the My Wake Up Call podcast and No Strings Attached on LinkedIn Live. He was the writer, producer, director, and star of Steve Jobs Returns. He's a former FBI police hostage negotiation trainer and the author and co-founder, a co-author of nine books with his book, Just Listen, being translated into 28 languages, becoming the top book on listening in the world and co-author of two recent books during COVID-19, Why Cope When You Can Heal and Trauma to Triumph, a road roadmap for leading through disruption and thriving on the other side. He's a former UCLA professor of psychiatry and one of the most, one of the foremost authorities on suicide prevention, having created surgical empathy, which I can't wait to talk about, an approach he used for 25 years with none of his patients dying by suicide. He has contributed to Harvard Business Review, Business Insider, Fast Company, and Psychology Today. We bring him for you today, folks. How are you going, Mark? That's a lot to live up to. That's a lot to say as well. So <laughs> well done, well done. Look, I'd love to kick off today by asking you, you are a, an extreme performer. I love high performance people, people that are searching to achieve their potential. What, what was that moment in your life that thought that, that you thought, you know what, I have to get to the next level and I have to stay at the next level. What, what was happening in your life at the time? Well, you know, failure and mistakes often leads to breakthroughs. In fact, if you're listening in, I think you'll agree with this. And I'm going to give you some tips you can use right out of the gate, because what your listeners are listening for is tips that they can use. And uh, when I speak to audiences and I say, how many of you have had breakthroughs in your life? So in the audiences I speak to, the majority raise their hand. And I say, how many of you have had more than one breakthrough? They keep their hands up. How many have had more than five? Most keep their hands up. More than 10, they start to lower their hands. And then I say to them, um, how often were those breakthroughs preceded by breakdowns that were not pleasant, weren't invited, sometimes downright scary, but necessary for the breakthrough? And the majority of the hands stay up. And that's because what happens is when we're going through a breakdown, it's the reality that we thought we were living into suddenly is taken away and we go into free fall. And when we go into free fall, imagine it this way. Uh, imagine a Rubik's cube and I'm excited because I met the world's champion of Rubik's cube. He can solve a Rubik's cube in under five seconds. I don't know how he does it. He does it blindfolded. I don't know how he does it. But at any rate, imagine you have a picture of a Rubrics cube and it gets all disorganized. So you have your vision of your company. And then what happens is you start organizing the Rubrics cube and someone says to you, uh, you know the picture uh, of the Rubrics cube when it was all put together? It's no longer there. It doesn't exist anymore, gone. And so you get sort of nervous, but what happens is if you don't get nervous and panicky, the Rubrics cube and all the great habits you've established to being a high performer with persistence and focus, what happens is the Rubik's cube starts to organize and it reconfigures itself to a new Rubik's cube uh, solution. And so uh, I think what uh, happened to me is, and I'll just share a story of uh, I, one of my greatest, probably my greatest accomplishment I've accomplished a fair amount. I mean, you know, you said a bunch of things, but I've accomplished a few things. But my greatest personal accomplishment is I dropped out of medical school twice and finished. <laughs> and I dropped out twice, not to see the world, but I had untreated depression. So I hit a wall and I was passing everything. And the second time I dropped out, I was probably at a low point. So talk about a breakdown. I was pretty down. 
And I met with the head of the school who looked at me like a business person. I don't even remember the meeting, but I think he was worried about me. So he referred me to the Dean of Students who worries about students, whereas the Dean of the school worries about finance. So I'm pretty low, Oscar. And, uh, and I came from a background, not unlike some of your viewers or listeners, where you're only worth what you can do in the world. If you can't do much, you're not worth much. So if think of that mindset, and probably because I was kind of depressed, um, I couldn't do much. So imagine you have that mindset that says, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Which was the mindset of the head of the school because you know, I'm asking for a second leave of absence. And so imagine hearing this. So the Dean of Students calls me and he says, I have a letter here from the other Dean. I read the letter and the letter says that the Dean of the whole school who interest, who's interested in finance and said, I met with Mr. Goulston. I wasn't a doctor then. Uh, and, uh, and we talked about other professions and I'm advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. So I was passing everything and they couldn't flunk me out because I wasn't flunking. And I was really low. And I said to the Dean of Students, I said, what does this mean? He said, you've been kicked out. And I think a miracle happened. Talk about a rubric's cue. When he said that, it was if I'd had a gunshot wound to my abdomen. And I know what that's like, because I had a perforated, I almost died 10 years ago from a perforated colon. And I, I, I said, fold it over. And he said, you've been kicked out. And I felt something wet on my cheek. And I thought I was bleeding. And I'm not a spirit, I'm maybe spiritual, I'm not religious, but I thought I was bleeding. I kept looking at my fingers. And I didn't know what it was. And imagine hearing this. When you come from a background, yeah, you're only worth what you can do. He said, Mark, you didn't screw up, meaning you're passing, but you are screwed up. But if you got unscrewed up, I think this school would be glad they gave you another chance. Uh, and so it started to get really wet on my cheeks because it was tears. I didn't know what he was hitting me with. And so imagine this, he then says, even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything with the rest of your life, which is what I felt I was capable of at that moment, he said, I'd be proud to know you because you have a streak of goodness in you that we don't grade in medical school. We should, but we don't. And you don't know how much the world needs that goodness. And you're not gonna know it till you're 35, but you have to make it till you're 35. And then he looked at me and he said, look at me. And he pointed his finger at me. You look at me. And I'm looking at him, my eyes are just sobbing. And he said, you deserve to be on this planet and you're gonna let me help you. If he had said, you know, if I can help you call me, I probably would have had foolish pride, gone back to my apartment and I probably wouldn't be here today. But he saw something in me that I didn't. He saw a future for me that I didn't. And he went to bat for me against the medical school at his own inconvenience. And that just flipped everything around. Uh, and so what happened is I took an, a year off, came back and decided to become a psychiatrist because of you know, what that felt like. And then I became a suicide prevention specialist and I just paid it forward what he did for me. So talk about a breakthrough. I realized that reaching into someone, having them look at you uh, and seeing something and seeing their pain and jumping in to help them and paying it forward. Uh, I didn't realize it could save lives, but it did. And so can I share an anecdote that will kind of give you the chills? Please, please. If you don't already have them already. Uh, uh, so one of my next mentors after that Dean of Students was probably, probably the top name in suicide prevention in the world. And he's passed away, but he was at UCLA when I was doing my psychiatry training. And he used to refer to me 
still suicidal patients who needed to be discharged because they weren't acutely suicidal. So you couldn't keep them there forever, uh, but they were still suicidal. And I was fortunate because instead of going into some training, uh, I got to just be with these people. And it was really interesting. And if you're listening, this is the importance of getting where your customer is coming from, as opposed to throwing stuff down their throat that they don't want and they don't need, and you have too much inventory of. Hmm. And so uh, what happened is, as I was with people, I began to feel they were screaming at me with their eyes, you're checking boxes and I'm running out of time. So I let go of the boxes. And there was one incident that just changed everything and just cemented what I would do for 30 years. Well, this woman will call Nancy, that's not her name. She'd made three or four suicide attempts in the previous few years. She'd been in the hospital one or two months every year. Back then you could be in the hospital that long. And I didn't think I was helping her. I'd seen her about six months and she'd come in two, three times a week. She'd hardly look at me. And I didn't think I was making any progress, but that was as long as she'd gone without a suicide attempt or a hospitalization. And once a month I would moonlight at a psychiatric hospital. So I'd cover for other doctors, I'd admit patients, you know, I'd prescribe medicines and I'd go, you know, go look at the uh, units at a state psychiatric hospital. And so sometimes you don't sleep for 24 hours or 30 hours. So I come in on a Monday into my office after I haven't slept and there's Nancy. And if you're me, this is Nancy. She wasn't exactly catatonic, but she wasn't, I don't know, quite there. So I sit down with her, Oscar, and she's like this. And suddenly all the color in the room turns to black and white. So I'm looking and it's black and white and it's cold. And I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure. So it wasn't rude because she didn't look at me. So I did a neurologic exam on myself. So she's like this and I'm tapping my elbows. I'm looking at my fingers. I'm going up and down like this. And I said to myself, I'm all here. I'm not having a stroke or a seizure. And then I had this crazy idea that I was looking out at the world through her eyes and feeling what she felt. So I just leaned into it and it got cold. It got ice cold. And because I hadn't slept, um, I blurted something out that if I'd slept, I probably wouldn't say. And so she's not looking at me. She's like this. And I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, to get out of the pain. And I thought to myself, I just blew it. I just gave her permission. And that's the first time she looked at me. And I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding I'm overdue. And I thought, oh, what did I just do? And she looked at me. And I mean, she looked at me. She grabbed onto my eyes like a drowning person grabbing onto a lifeguard. And I couldn't move because her eyes were grabbing onto me. And I said, what are you thinking? And she said, if you can understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain, maybe I won't need to. And she smiled. And I held onto her eyes. And I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm not going to give you any treatment or programs unless you ask me for them because you've been on everything and they haven't really worked. If you ask me, you know, I'm not against it. Would that be okay? Uh, because if I give you stuff and it doesn't work, when you come back, we're just going to be talking about why you didn't take it. And then I'll try something else. And we're going to be chasing our tail. Would that be okay? And she looked into my eyes with a, uh, with a look that said, keep talking. I'm intrigued. And so I looked at her. So if you can imagine this, because I'm looking into your eyes, Oscar. And I said to her, what I'm going to do instead, Nancy, is I'm going to find you wherever you are. And when I do, I'm going to stay there as long as it takes. Because I don't want you to be there alone anymore. Would that be okay? And she teared up and she smiled and she started to come out of it. 
So that's sort of an example of something you had mentioned called surgical empathy. Mm. And I'll tell you a discovery I made, and now we've probably lost half your audience, but some of them may be intrigued. But, and I'll tell you how this applies, this how this applies to entrepreneurs, the ones who are good sticking around. Left. The good half is left, <laughs> keep going. There you go. Uh, one of the things I realized about people who are suicidal, which was my specialty, and if you haven't been suicidal, you won't get this. If you have been, you'll get it loud and clear. Death is compassionate to hopelessness that won't go away. Hmm. When you feel hopelessness, hopeless, no future. Yes. You pair with death to take the pain away because death feels your pain and says, I'll take it away. Just like the sirens calling the sailors onto the rocks. But when another person can feel felt like Nancy did, they will let go of death and they'll attach to that surgical empathy. And, and how does this apply to entrepreneurs? Well, something you did mention, so here is going to be 180, and then, uh, uh, and, uh, and this is the part that some of your listeners will want to hear about. I played Steve Jobs coming back from the dead. I did that for a year and a half. I had the turtleneck on, I had the glasses on, and, and all of it, the whole performance was to tee up a formula that Steve Jobs and Elon Musk follow unconsciously. And when you hear this, if you're watching this or listening, you're going to write it down because I have a pretty good track record. With it. And here's the formula they follow. And if you want to see a video of it in action, look up uh, Xerox Park, National Geographic, Steve Jobs. I think it's called America. And what will come up is American Genius. And there's a little over two minute video. I, th yeah, I think that's what they call it, American Genius. And it's a dramatization of Steve Jobs discovering the graphical user interface and the mouse at Xerox Park. And it's a dramatization. And here's the four step formula that you're gonna write down. And, I, and, and I'll just describe, I'll describe the Steve Jobs character. So you don't have to watch it, but it's a good two minutes. And the four step formula is woe, W-H-O-A, wow, W-O-W, hmm, H-M-M-M, yes. Woe, wow, hmm, yes. And when you watch the video, Steve Jobs is there with Steve Wozniak and they're just at Xerox Park and there is arrogant Steve Jobs. And he sees the Xerox technician uh, turn on the computer and he sees the mouse and the graphical user interface, the icons. So he goes from his being, his arms crossed and cynical and he leans in and you can see it on his face. And the woe is, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And if you're an entrepreneur, tell your marketing team to watch this video and write down this formula because unless your marketing team is creating whoa, wow, hmm, yes, you're gonna get nah, no thanks, never mind, goodbye. But to finish the video, he sees that, his eyes open up, he says to the Xerox park technician, can I try it? And he sits down and he starts to sweat. The music goes up. He touches the mouse and suddenly all these icons stop coming up on the screen and you can see that's the wow. So the woe is, I can't believe what I'm seeing or hearing or reading. That's what your copy has to say also on your website. The wow is this is astonishing, amazing, unbelievable. And then, hmm, in the video, he looks at Steve Wozniak and on this video, the actual Steve Wozniak says, you know, when Steve looked at me, I said, once they go there, they're not going back. <laughs> they're not going back to typing after they can use a mouse. And, uh, and then what happens is Steve goes back to using the mouse and he feels it. And there's music background. It's only two minutes. And then Walter Isaacson, who's one of the people who wrote one of the books, said they didn't know what to do with this. 
at Xerox. And the hmm was when he looked at Steve Wozniak and, and Steve Wozniak said, hmm, uh, this is the future. And then Walter Isaacson said that. And then he says, they didn't know what to do with it. And Steve Jobs went back to, to Apple and said, we got to do this. And they created the Macintosh. So when you look at your marketing, uh, make sure it causes uh, whoever comes to visit you. Well, when you do a presentation, uh, make sure you create whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And I'll tell you, the way you know you've created whoa, wow, hmm, yes, especially the whoa, wow, is people elbow each other and say, what did he say? You know, they're busy texting and they hear something. And when you've created whoa, wow, they say, what did he say? What did she say? Hmm. Also, when you're talking to someone who's networking with you and they look over your shoulder for something better, you've been there, I've been there. Uh, when you say something that just whoa wows them, they'll stop looking and they'll say, say that again. Yeah, and absolutely. so companies bring me in when they say, how do we create whoa wow? Yes, they all get it. In yeah. fact, uh, I did a uh, I did a presentation. If you go to CU Tech Talks, Cambridge University TED Talks, uh, I did one that's an audio and it's called How to Think Like Elon Musk. So if you go to uh, CU Tech, Mark Goulston, you'll find the you'll find the talk in audio. So, but what does that have to do with surgical empathy? Well, surgical empathy, if you think about it. Think of the mind of people now. They're preoccupied, they're distracted, they can't stay focused. And when you give them something that they can focus on, that causes them to go, whoa, wow, hmm, yes, that's surgical empathy. Mm. And I'll tell you a mistake that a lot of you entrepreneurs make. And I do my best to help you, but you're a tough crowd, especially if you're engineers especially okay. if you're technologists. Here's your problem. You try to be convincing too soon instead of being compelling. Compelling means you got to open their minds to want to listen to you before you try to convince them of what you have. But a lot of times what happens is you're so passionate about what you have, you know, even though you're, you, you haven't sold any of your inventory, that you get so convincing, you drive them away. Yeah. And here's my definition of being the most compelling you can be. What's the least you can say that causes people to go, not whoa, wow, but what's that about? Say more about that. And I'm not finished with you yet. Here's an example of it. Uh, there's something called mental real estate. A friend of mine, Tony Baxter, helped design Disney Tokyo and Disney Paris. And he introduced the term to me. What is mental real estate? He said, Pirates of the Caribbean owns the word pirates in the minds of kids. So Disney owns pirates. How is that mental real estate? You come up with something familiar. And since everyone's cautious in this world because everyone's so overwhelmed, you come up with something familiar, but then you twist it. So the familiarity brings them in, that's the compelling, but then you twist it, but you don't go on and on. So in fact, even uh, Oscar didn't know what I was gonna talk about, but as he introduced me, he said the word surgical empathy. Uh, those are two familiar words. Nobody knows what it means to put them together. Absolutely. But, but Oscar said, I want to hear more about that. And so that's mental real estate because empathy is too soft, especially for you techies. Surgical's pretty good. Put them together, surgical empathy. Gee, Dr. Goulston, what's that about? Compelling, compelling, compelling. Absolutely. So, so are you tracking with any of this, Oscar? You know, are, are you still awake, my friend? Yeah, no, it, it, it does. Because the, the first thing from an entrepreneurial success perspective is, is the personal development part. So what you've, what you've outlined is that you've really gone deep into yourself. You've understood yourself at a, at a deep level. You, you've developed a, a drive because 
part of motivation is, is sometimes it's moving away from the things you don't want to be. I love the quote, I, the, the wor my worst nightmare in the world is meeting the version of myself that I could have been. And that's part of, that's part mm. of high performance. We've talked about um, personal develop development. Now we've talked about marketing, which is how people uh, go out to the market and they evangelize their message. I now want to shift the gear and talk about the next segment in, in successful entrepreneurship, which is sales. And as an, as an FBI negotiator, I mean, you would have been put into some, some, some really difficult situations. How does this relate to sales? How does this relate to business? And, and what did you learn in your, in your days as a FBI negotiator? Well, I trained them. So, you know, they would bring me in and I do some ride alongs and someone I know and everyone's heard of is Chris Voss. He has a wonderful book out called Never, uh, Never Split the Difference. I'd recommend it to you highly. I think Just Listen's uh, also a pretty good read, but he talks about tactical empathy and it's wonderful. I, I mean, it's a great read. You should all read it. Uh, uh, and tactical empathy is how do you win the sale? Surgical empathy is how do you open them up to grab onto you? And I'll give you an example because I've been giving presentations to accelerator groups. So these are startups that, you know, have a little friends and family going on. You know, they're looking to get some money from uh, people they're not related to. Uh, and, and so one of the things that I shared with them, and this is also worth writing down, and I'll give a link to Oscar, uh, I gave a talk in Moscow along with a Nobel Prize winner named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Anybody who knows anything about economy and finance, and they know him. And, and my whole focus, and I can send you the video, the link to it, Oscar. And there was a thousand Russians in the audience, managers, leaders, some entrepreneurs. And I said, what you need to be aware of, that whoever you're with, when if you focus on what they're listening to it's a transactional conversation and it's like every other conversation and they're gonna and what's gonna happen is they're gonna commoditize you and squeeze you on price but if instead of that you focus on what they're listening for and they don't tell you what it is and you get it right they're gonna lean towards you and I'm gonna demonstrate it with Oscar. So do your best to resist this Oscar. I don't think you'll be able to. Okay, don't be, su don't be such an easy sale. So if I focus on what you're listening to, Oscar is checking all the boxes from his program. Let's make sure we cover this. Let's make sure he covers this. Yeah, that's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. And so, you know, it's, we're doing pretty well in a, if I focus on what he's listening to. And, you know, so far I think I'm doing okay. I can always do better. I'm doing okay transactionally, but let me see if I can focus on what Oscar's listening for. Okay, I'm locked in. What Oscar is listening for, and tell me if this is right, Oscar, if it feels any different. Uh, you, his audience, trust him. You, his audience, has confidence in him. You, his audience, have respect for him because of what he's been able to accomplish. It's very important to Oscar that he not dishonor your trust, confidence, or respect. It matters to him. It matters to him that he give you value. It matters to him that he give you value that you can use, especially value that you can use today, value that's relevant value that will help you succeed. And he's listening for guests who can bring you that value. I, don't, I hope I've done okay so far, but who knows? And uh, uh, I'll tell you what else he's listening for. He's listening for someone who has a best-selling book, but is a stiff, is boring, is unpostable. He has to protect his listeners and viewers from this person, even if it's a best-selling book. And then he has to go back and tell the person, I'm sorry, we couldn't use it. So he's listening for not only how to honor the trust, confidence, and respect of his listeners and viewers, he also wants to protect them from something that gives them no value. So is any of that accurate, Oscar? Absolutely, but you bring a a a, ton, a waterfall of value, so I'm I'm loving it. 
I'm just about running out. No, I, I have a few more things to go. So, so, so here's what I'm doing with the accelerator groups. Uh, and here's something else to keep in mind if you're an entrepreneur. Now, maybe it plays different in other parts of the world. But when I speak to these accelerator groups, I said, have you ever been with investors and they smile at you and you think it's a yes? And then they don't give you their money? And they go, yeah, happens all the time. I say, first of all, investors don't smile. It's money. They don't smile. They don't have a sense of humor. Come on. I mean, you can come up with some sort of joke that you get away with, but they don't smile. They're smiling because it's a no and they don't want to be rude. They've already decided this is not for me, but I can't leave because I've only been listening for four minutes. So they're smiling and here's what you do. Here's the script, I'm telling you. And you can even do this on Zoom. So now, unless you, unless you get smiles and you think they're yeses and, you know, and, and they're ready to buy, well, you know, then tell me that it, you know, I'm way off. But if you've been down the road where that smile is a polite no, then here's exactly what you do. I'm giving you tactics here. What you say to them is with this tone of voice, uh, I'd like to pause for a moment and they're gonna be startled because you caught them tuned out. It's like waking up someone in the back of the classroom who's texting. You say, I'd like to pause for a moment. What, 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 what? They don't know what to do. And then what you say to them, and you can do this in person or in a Zoom call, you take your hands and you put them next to each other. And you said, I just went back to the beginning of our conversation. And when we met, we were like this. You were an investor, you had money. I had a company that needs money. We were kind of equals, but something has shifted. And now you're way, way up there and I'm way down here because you were looking for and listening for something that you didn't hear. Now, I tried to prepare for what I thought you'd want or what you'd need, you know, put my deck together, but clearly I didn't hit it. So we still have a few minutes left. Can you tell me what you were looking for and listening for? Now, you have to practice this and feel confidence, and, and they're going to go, and what's happened is you have just totally open them up. They're uncomfortable. And they go, humma, humma, hum, because they know, stop the humma, humma, humma. What were you listening for and looking for that we didn't cover? And then while they're still, they're not used to being disarmed like this, you say, can I tell you what, uh, I had a conversation with some other investors. Can I tell you what their answer was? And they're going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me what they said, because they don't have an answer. And you said, I don't know if you can relate to this. But these were investors like you, you know, they're not the head of the firm, you know, they're investors. And I don't know if you can relate to this. And it's happened more than once, actually three times. And what they said is they need a win. And when I said, what do you mean? They said, I invested I brought in three investments that didn't meet expectations. Oh, they sounded so good, but they didn't meet expectations. And my boss who had a lot of confidence in me, uh, you know, starting to pause. So what I'm listening for is something that will be a win to make up for some of those things. Now, what I encouraged the startups to do Early in their career, they want money. And I don't know if this will apply to you, but you know, trust me on this. Uh, what I suggested to these startups is you've already lost it, you know, because they, I mean, they tell you what they're looking for and you can try and fill in the blanks, but this is what you say instead. Uh, and you try and answer, you know, what they were looking for, listening for, and you tell them. And if that's still not working, what you say is, uh, uh, can I drop what I'm talking to you about? And they're going to say, what? Because they've already dropped it. Yeah, can I drop it? And they're going to say, what's this about? Um, I think focusing on a win is too small. I think what you should listen for is something that's going to get your promotion or raise or bonus. 
So forget, for, forget what I'm selling, forget my company. Let's spend a few minutes. What would, what would look like something that would get you that raise or bonus or promotion? And let's not try to talk about numbers. I know it's all about numbers, but everybody can shift numbers the way they shift numbers. But tell me more about what it looks like you know what your company's looking for. You know what they have confidence in. You can tell me about some of the big winners. And then what you can do is you can say, you know, my company's not the right investment, but I know three other companies because we're all networked and I can send you some information and I won't tell them, you know, you know, to come and pitch you, but I know a few other companies and I can send you some information and if you're willing to take a look at it, I'll send you a little more information. And if you want, I'll make an introduction. So what has happened then? You let go of you and you focused on the investor's success. And then if you bring in those companies, uh, forget about getting a commission, you know, drop the money angle already. Uh, you're building a long-term relationship. And if you bring in those other companies, and it's a good match, at the very least, they're gonna be grateful to you. They may even say, hey, I gotta reward you. And so you change the conversation where you're totally dedicated to their success, the investor's success, and then you try to make it happen. And by the way, you do this, the investor in those companies will always take a call from you because you've been so generous. And I wanna share a case study uh, that proves this point. So as I said, I speak in Russia. I don't speak Russian, but I spoke in Russia. And five of my nine books are bestsellers in Russia. There's a book I wrote called Just Listen. I can't get arrested in America teaching listening to Americans. Americans do not want to learn how to listen. They want to be listened to. That's why we're in so much difficulty. They just want to be listened to. Oh, drives me crazy. But anyway, uh, so here's an example of, uh, of what I'm talking about. So because I have these books in Russia and they're doing well, they set up an interview with a publication called RBC, which is one of their bigger business publications. So Ilya from RBC calls me, doctor, this is Ilya, I got to interview you. And I said, Ilya, glad to speak to you. I'll tell you what I want from this article. And he's thinking, oh, pushy American. He said, what doctor? I said, the only thing I care about, I wanna give him suspense. The only thing I care about is that you write an article that the editor in chief notices and they give you a raise or a promotion. It's the only thing I care about. And he says, what doctor? I said, I told you. And the good news is that's what we're gonna try to turn this into. The bad news is I tell stories, I go in different directions. You know, it's tough to sort of pull me together. I'm all over the place. So you're gonna to have to work hard to pull all the stuff I give you and turn it into an article like that. So I get to Moscow and the people putting on the event, they said, do you know that, that uh, business publication do you know Ilya? I said, oh yeah, yeah, we spoke about uh, five months ago. They said, he wrote the article. It's gotten more views than any other article in the history of the publication, 460,000 views. Guess who can call Ilya back? <laughs> oh, I love it, I love it. And, and it's so interesting and I, I want people to understand the flow of conversation here. We, we, we talked about personal development. We talked about tactical empathy. We talked about uh, marketing. It was tactical empathy. Oh, sorry, not tactical, it was it, surgical empathy, sorry. Uh, surgical, which I, I love that, those, that group of words. Uh, and we talked about sales and you're talking about surgical empathy. So what, I get that, and it's amazing that you've done that because usually people, when, when, we, when we go across domains and we have different types of conversations, they bring in different examples and different experiences from, from what they're doing, but you've got such a, a succinct way of, of really showing us that surgical empathy can just create a better life. What, why is that? Why is it that 
that the more value we give or the more we focus on others, why does that improve our lives, Dr. Mark? Well, because what happens is when you focus on the other person and you focus on what will make them most successful, happy, safe, you might be the only person who's focused on that. They're on guard because everybody in the world is hitting on them. I have a, you know, I have my own podcast. You were on, you were terrific. My wake up call. And, and, and here's how I roll in the world. So my wake up call, I speak to wonderful people like Oscar. I have no idea what the downloads are and I don't care. Uh, what I do is I speak to people like Oscar. I get them to open up a little bit. And I introduce them to my other guests and say, listen to each other's podcasts. And if you like each other, I'll introduce you. Go, go help the world. Go, go do something. And I've had people like Larry King on, Ken Blanchard, Stephen Covey, Tom Steyer. He ran for president here. A whole bunch of people. Margaret Heffernan from London, one of the top TED speakers. And the whole idea is to get them to open up, show that personal side of them, and then I, then I, then I matchmake, and then I say, go help the world. And, and by the way, they'll always take my email, but I'm always giving them benefit. And also something, I'm gonna have you on this too, because you, this formula of yours is driving me crazy, the, uh, uh, the B-A-H-O, it's, wow. uh, it's, it's changed my life. Really, uh, I love that. Yeah, and if you don't know what it is, you you know you've been living under a rock, and it's beliefs, limiting beliefs. Uh, it's uh, actions you change, you turn the actions into habits, and then you check the outcomes. Pretty simple, pretty simple. It's great, great stuff. Love and it. so, uh, and so, something I'm doing on LinkedIn Live, I have a, a program called, and here's surgical empathy. It's called No Strings Attached. So I had Marshall Goldsmith on, Ivan Meisner, he's the founder of BNI, uh, we'll have Oscar on. And what I tell to people is, I want you to give away your best advice, your best tips for free, no strings attached. Anybody wants to steal it from you, they can. Anybody wants to monetize it, they can. Anybody wants to make a course on it, they can. You're just gonna give it away because, uh, because we need to create an oasis in LinkedIn where you're not being hit on by someone yeah and so that's why it's called no strings attached but that's surgical empathy absolutely Does that makes sense oscar absolutely i absolutely love that so we've we've talked about personal development we've talked about marketing we've talked about sales and i also had no pre i'm letting the conversation flow I'm, I'm, a, I'm a canvas here so i'm i'm loving the flow of the conversation I want to talk about because because I work with a lot of technology companies and a lot of those people are, are very heavy technology oriented people and and leadership and we talk it's one of the things that it's one of the trends people are talking about EQ or emotional intelligence how how do leaders develop that I mean I, I was on a podcast recently on on the Moved podcast and he talked about angry manager syndrome. So as someone that floats around in, in, in corporate spheres, boards, uh, there's a lot of people that are just very angry. What, what is it? Like, how do, you, how do you make yourself a leader that can fully embrace empathy? Because I feel like it, 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 it's going to be a small percentage of the population in, in terms of leadership spheres that are actually good at, at this. Oh, they're, 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 you know what it is? I'll tell you. Uh... Leaders hate empathy because they're mediocre at it. And that's a compliment. They're actually much worse because they, they love strategy. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, the reason Elia's article did pretty well, he came up with an interesting title. Leaders and manager managers hate the word people. <laughs> I love that. Got some attention. Yeah. You know, I want to get stuff done. When is AI going to take? I need robots. I don't need people. People have stories. They waste my time. I need AI. I need this to be. And then I say to the CEOs I work with, I said, I love your attitude. And do you know, two years after you replace your people with AI, you're replaceable. Yeah. You're not that special. 
you know, AI is just around the corner. They're not going to need you. Oh, and uh, and they're going to have autonomous leading machines <laughs> who do a better job uh, than you CEOs. So, but here's but it's interesting because one of the largest companies, the largest company in their industry, I can't tell you who it is, but it was amusing. They said, "Oh, our big push this year is empathy." I said, well, that's a rock you're rolling uphill. <laughs> and, they, and they said, oh, we have all these courses. I say, uh, I said, I said, I hope, I hope the, uh, the, the paint on the ceiling doesn't fall apart when everybody's rolling their eyes looking up at us. <laughs> looking, oh, we got to do this again? So I'm actually in the process of writing an article, but I'll, I'll tell you what it's about. You want to teach people empathy. You've got to give them the experience of how empathy made a difference in their life. So when I speak to people who really resent having to learn empathy because they're so mediocre at it, I give them this scenario. I said, think of your career. Think of a boss you once had who said to you, uh, Bring me results, don't bring me explanations, and never bring me excuses. Yeah. If they don't say it, there's a lot of bosses who think that. And so you, you know, go off to your little algorithm and it doesn't work. In fact, you can't figure this thing out. You ask other people, they shrug their shoulders, and that boss says, come on, you know, you know we got to get this thing figured out. You can't figure it out. And guess what? Not only can't you figure it out and he's pressing you or she's pressing you, you're not allowed to go home and have a bad attitude with your family. So you're not allowed to go home and kick the dog and be the sullen mom or dad. So you gotta just suck it all in and, uh, and you're really about to explode. Also, you have some health issues, so you're not allowed to take it out by drinking too much and getting smashed and eating five pizzas. So you have no outlets for this. So how does that feel? And time is running out. And I said, ever been there? And they said, well, you know, not that dramatic, but yes. And, uh, and then what happens if you uh, go home and you do explode at your spouse, really explode verbally. And, and, the, and your spouse says to you, uh, uh, that's it. You don't know what I have to put up with you. Who the F do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. And then they stomp out of the room and you think, oh great, not only am I stressed out, not only can't I figure this problem out, now I have to feel guilty because I've traumatized my spouse who I love. Great job. So in your head, you're not in the best place. Uh, but, there's, but, but here's what empathy would do. So instead of that, imagine that spouse saying to you, instead of, I've had it, they let you vent and they look at you and they said, wow. That was so explosive and so mean. It's not who I know you are. What happened to you to drive you to that? And you go, what? You say, this is not you. What's happened to you to drive you to that? And you start to vent. You start to talk. I don't care if you're a techie, you start to cry you start to feel relief. You start to calm down. Not only do you start to calm down, but you actually start to be able to think again because you calm down. Why? Because that very smart and lucky you spouse showed you empathy. So I know that's a long story, but if you can see the analogy, why empathy matters is because there's your customer. If it's a B2B customer, they're afraid of making a mistake, saying yes to you and having their boss throw them under the bus. Why'd you buy this piece of junk? Uh, 
if it's a B2C customer, they're afraid of, of buying something that won't work because they just bought five of those things. If it's, uh, if it's one of your subordinates, they're already nervous because they hear the rumor that there's gonna be layoffs. And, and then you yell at them, get me results. And if they're not thinking that clear anyway, because they hear the rumor of layoffs, they're not gonna think much clearer when you say that. But if you just remember what happened when you got a little empathy from that person at home and you vented and you calmed down and you thought more clearly and you started to come up with solutions, you might wanna learn this thing called empathy. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna to have to start wrapping up now, Dr. Mark. I have uh, one more question for you. What should have I asked you, but didn't? Well, I guess we've covered it. Uh, if there's one takeaway that you want the entrepreneurs watching and listening to take away from this, At least once a day, practice this muscle of focusing and being curious about what people are listening for. Just being curious about what they're listening for. And you don't have to guess it like I did. I guessed it because I know something about, you know, empathy and reading people's minds because, you, know, you know, it's from empathy. But you could say to someone when you feel it's not going well, um, I think I have a feeling you're listening for something and we didn't cover it. Uh, can you tell me what you were listening for? Because maybe we'll be able to cover it. And I think if you can do that, you're gonna become much more successful. And if you're worried that they'll tell you something they're listening for and you can't help them, you can introduce them to people that will help them and you're gonna win friends for life and you're gonna become very successful. I love that. Thank you very much for sharing that, Dr. Mark. We've appreciated having you on the show. And for listeners, something I always say that all the knowledge in the world is worth jack squat unless you implement it. And I feel like today we've covered so many incredible things that even I wish that I heard uh, 10 years ago or just yesterday, because yesterday I was in a high pressure negotiation situation and I wish I would have stopped and, and, and used that strategy. So I will definitely use that strategy next week because, uh, it's important to implement the things you learn. So thank you very much for your, uh, for your generosity with sharing today, Dr. Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you, Oscar, for giving me a long leash because I took advantage of it. <laughs> Just hold on one second.